Again, we are thankful that all of you have made it out today, full house, and Antoine put you at work right there right before to get you nice and out of breath to do that. Thank you for helping out. Um, we will be in Luke chapter 9 today, so take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 9. You know, when we see this little phrase, the Lord uses people, uh, we might be tempted to think of this in a negative way. Um, when we think of people, other people using us, that phrase can sometimes come off as bad, right? Being used by somebody is not always something that we want to be want to have happen to us, right? The concept can sound harsh, being used by somebody. But in this case, it is a great thing. Matter of fact, it's a privilege to be used by the Lord, and it is important. It still goes against our thinking, uh, but and our humanness uh, to think of this as a good thing, a privilege. But to be used by the Lord is a privilege. And the more we study about Christ and who He is and what He's done, and the more we know about God, being used by Him is by no means a burden. It is a pleasure and a privilege. Today we're going to see the Lord uses these 12 ordinary men to do some great things. They are his instruments, for lack of a better term. It's somewhat like musical instruments themselves, right? The piano there, you look at it, it's nothing special, is it? It's a piano. It does absolutely nothing without Stephen playing the piano, (laughs) Looks nice. I guess you can push a button and make it play itself. It's not the normal kind, though. But it wouldn't sound near as good and do near as much, right? Musical instruments are only as good as the musician that's playing them, correct? Matter of fact, a great musical instrument can make a beautiful song. Or a paintbrush. A paintbrush is what? Absolutely useless without a great painter. You put me behind the paintbrush... And you don't get art. (laughs) You get the opposite of art. Because the artist, that's not me, is not real good with a paintbrush. But you take a paintbrush and put it in the hand of Picasso or uh, Michelangelo or one of the artists, and they make great things, correct? Same way with us, humans. We are just humans. We are the creation. And since the fall in the garden... We are corrupted humans, sinful humans. But in the hands of the master, he can take sinful people and do miraculous things, great things, and paint amazing pictures, as we will see in our passage today. Today we're going to see an example of how the Lord uses people to reveal himself to the world. Take your Bibles, look over at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, 
until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from the city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Let's pray. Father, your word, so good, so pure. It is the truth. Now, Lord, we pray that we will understand it better and that you will change our hearts. God, I pray, we beg you, play your amazing music in us. You are the Redeemer. You are the Lord. You are the King. Use us too, Lord, and change us and show us your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, again, today we're going to see an example an example of how our Lord uses people to reveal himself to the world. Let's trace these events of Jesus using the apostles to reveal himself to the world. First, it starts in verse 1. The Lord gives power and authority. Notice in verse 1, the Lord graciously grants authority to some for his glory. What is his purpose? It's for his glory, as we will see. In verse 1 it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over the demons to, and to heal diseases. He called the twelve. That little phrase there presumes something. It presumes that the disciples were not always together. The apostles were not always working together. They weren't hanging out every second of the day. It appears that they might have lived in their own homes. We know that Jesus was in the Capernaum area. So a lot of them lived in that area. Now he calls them together. I, I marvel at who these 12 are. And we've mentioned this before, but again, it's important for us to reflect on them. First, one guy that comes to mind is Thomas. We all know Thomas from the story in John after the resurrection, right? Some of the disciples were out and Thomas wasn't there, right? And Jesus appears to 10 of the men. And Thomas shows up, and they tell him, Jesus is resurrected. And he says, no way. I'm not going to believe that. Unless I put my fingers in the holes and in the side, I'm not going to believe. Right? Thomas is one of these 12. Before you go judging Thomas, folks, we always like to see things, too, before we believe often. Don't we? We want proof before we go forward. Right? Well, it's interesting here, Thomas is one of the ones that's sent out. And he's sent out without a cloak and without food. So it's interesting. Now, it goes 
Another one that comes to mind is Peter. Obviously, Peter, the one that we all can relate with, the one with foot and mouth disease, right? Peter's the one that said, though everybody fall away, I will stand with you. I will die for you if necessary. Before the night's out, he denies him three times. There's Peter. He's one of these 12. And the one that intrigues me probably the most out of these events is Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed our master, the one that ended up hanging himself, did not show true repentance, and most likely was not a true believer, but had followed him. And he's included in this. Luke doesn't go, and he called the 11 together, and also Judas, the one that would betray him. He doesn't show any distinction. He includes them and gave them, doesn't distinguish, Judas is included, gave them power and authority over all the demons. This is an intriguing thing. Does it not shock you a little bit? It shocks me. Judas too? He's included in this. Power and authority? So, we have the 12 together. They're gathered together, and he sends them out and gives them power. This is the energy or the force. It's divine power. The ability to do things, amazing things, like cast out demons and heal people. We've seen this in Luke, right, as we've been going through. Jesus has that authority, and he's able to cast out thousands of demons of people. And it says that he gives them authority. The word authority literally means the right to use the divine power. In other words, he gives them the rights to act against these demons. He gives them the right, the authority to heal people. That's an amazing thought. What grace this is, isn't it? That God would use these 12 ordinary, weak, sinful people to go out and do these miracles. To give them authority over demons. The Lord should be praised for this. Now, at first glance, when you look at this little verse here, and even the section as we're going through it, the tendency would be to praise the messenger. You say, why? Well, because this is what happens often. The worst possible thing for a preacher is for everybody in the congregation to applaud him. Don't do it. It doesn't, it's not worth it. If you're applauding the word of God, amen. But don't applaud me. It's not about the messenger. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message they have and the one that sends them out. The authority is given from Jesus. They didn't have that authority before. That they could cast out a demon only happens because why? Because Jesus allowed them to cast out the demons. Not because they were something special. They were like me and you. Normal people. We have a tendency to elevate people. If they do something great, we put them up top. Just because I'm here... And I preach, does not make me better than you. Nothing. Anything good that I do, we give praise to God. Anything that I say accurately from here is God's glory. Anything you do good, you give praise to God. 
not yourself. All the bad, guess who takes credit? That's me. All the garbage, that's me. Anytime you see me mess up, that's me. That's not God, that's me. Anytime I do good, go, way to go, God. You worked in that poor sinner. It's the same thing with these 12. This passage is not about the 12. This passage is about the Lord who gave authority over demons and shared his glory with them. We're going to develop this a little bit more tonight in Psalm 8. I challenge all of you to come back tonight. We're going to go through Psalm 8 and discuss some of these things. Same stuff. While I don't believe the passage can be directly applied to us, I also want you to take note of something. God does use people like me and you. There is a difference in this passage, though. Look at the passage. He called them and gave them authority. It is the twelve. He doesn't give us authority. It doesn't say he gives us authority. This is called, you ready? Description, not prescription. Description, not prescription. We're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go along. Often what we have a tendency to do when we're reading our Bible is we automatically apply every passage to us. We say, that's me. I can do that. I have power and authority over demons now because I'm a follower of Jesus. Right? No. No, no, no. He gave the 12, and it's description, not prescription. There are some differences, too, even to this event compared to others. And, however, there is one main theme, and that main theme is the same for us as for others. Let's look real quick at Matthew 28, 18. 28, 18. By the way, let's go ahead and first get the second point. It says, the Lord sends out kingdom proclaimers. The Lord sends out kingdom proclaimers. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So there are some similarities. There are some things that apply to us and some things that are for the apostles only. Their main mission is the same mission we have. The message they were commissioned to give is the same, the kingdom of God. The kingdom power demonstrated it. As they performed healings, they knew that the kingdom was there, that the king was there. Parallel to the kingdom of God is an automatic association with one specific person. And who would that be? The king. Whenever the kingdom of God is mentioned in the, Old Te- or in the New Testament or the Old Testament, it always assumes something very important. The king that's ruling and reigning. If they were to go out and say the kingdom of God is here, they're assuming and saying the king is here. The ruler and reigner of the king is here. So they were sent out with a specific message. The message was this. Jesus, the king, is here. How do we know this? Well, if you look in verse 6, it says specifically that they went out proclaiming the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So their main message is what? Jesus Only Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about him. That's what they're doing. And the miracles were showing that what they were saying is true. 
it validated their authority and verified that they were the testifiers to the king. So while this passage might not be perfectly applicable, we don't have uh, authority over demons and to heal people, there are some application aspects in the message. The message is the same. And it goes with Matthew 28, 18, right? In the other, in the Great Commission, Jesus came up and spoke to them, talking about disciples, not just the twelve, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Always, right? And then Acts 1.8, notice, And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. What's consistent in all of these? And he said to them in Mark 16, 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. What is the main underlying overarching theme in all the commissions? One main thing. You ready? Preach Jesus. Tell him about him. He's the king of the kingdom. He's the gospel. He's the good news of the gospel. He's... The one that we testify about, my witnesses, him. It's all about him. Now, it's interesting here. I think there's a distinguishing mark here. Whenever we evangelize, and I'm I'm bringing in evangelism here. I think it's important for us to get something here. Whenever we share Christ with people or evangelize, 95% of the time of what we see out there is all about the person that we're talking to. The emphasis is on them, not on Christ. Do you find yourself doing this? We talk often about how desperately sick they are and how they can be saved and delivered from hell. And the emphasis of our message often goes to who? The person that we're talking to. But when Jesus' commission is given... His commission is ultimately about who? Himself. Who should we talk about the most when we witness? Well, when we're told, often when we go out and do commissions, we're often told to give what? Our personal testimony. No. No, when the commission was often given by Jesus himself, what did he tell him to tell him about? Himself. Tell people about me. This is important. The emphasis should be in our lives, in what we say and what we do, all about Jesus. That song was very appropriate today. Only Jesus. It should be about him. Now, Do we talk about some of the things that we have and what he has done for us? Yeah. But again, the emphasis is on what he has done for us, not what I have done. Oh, folks, listen to me. It's so important. Jesus is doing this with the disciples. And notice the reaction of Herod later on in the verses. The reaction is he's concerned about Jesus. It sounds like the apostles did their job pretty good. It's about Christ. It's not about you. 
I'm taking a message that if you heard this normally preached in America, not all over the world, but in America, you know who would be the heroes of this story? The apostles. They went out and did their job. Way to go, faithful apostles. They did it. But it's not about the apostles. It's about the king and his kingdom. And it's about Christ and him sharing his authority and giving them authority to go out and proclaim him. So, ultimately, the passage is about the Lord using his apostles to get the message of him out there. Is that a bad thing? No, folks. That's a glorious thing. It's the only one in the world that I want to be used by all the time. Would you agree? Do you want to be used by God all the time? Use me, God. Use me all the time. Is that your prayer? It should be. Why? Because my greatest delight, my greatest joy, and the apostles' greatest joy is to be used by God. And yours too. Why were you created? Were you created for a free will walk and be selfish and be all about yourself? No. You were created to glorify the king. You were created to magnify Christ Jesus. Boy, this would clear out this might clear out the room. In other words, the message today is not about you. <laughs> Get your eyes off yourself. And get your eyes on the king. He's the one worthy of our praise. Not us. That's what this is all about, folks. All the commissions are about exalting the king, King Jesus. And we will follow him. This is our mission today also. To proclaim the king. To proclaim his lordship. Both in what we do. And what we say. Now there are some differences though. Between this commission and the other ones that we just read. In Luke 9. Let's look at them. He gives some specific mission. A specific mission here. This is a different mission. It's not typical. It's not one that he used every time. Look at verse 3. And Jesus said to them. Take nothing for your journey. Neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from the city, shake the dust off from your feet as a testimony against you. Boy, I've heard this applied so many times wrong. Be careful. Don't apply this passage wrong. I, I can just see it at the end. Look, folks, sell everything you have right now and go to the mission field. Do it. Do it. Right now, what I want you to do is I want you, if they, when you get on the mission field and the people, you give them the gospel, when they say no to you, I want you to walk out of the city and shake the dust off your feet and go to the next city. Leave, it alone. Leave them alone. They take passages like this and apply it wrongly. This is a specific message for a specific time. Listen closely. It's so important. 
Why is it that in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says something different? He says, he said to them, when I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy a sword. Is Jesus contradicting himself? One time he tells them, go with nothing. Next time he says, take stuff. What's his point? What about us? Are we supposed to take stuff? Or are we supposed to sell stuff? Which one? Good question, isn't it? Specific details for a specific message at a specific moment. Luke 9 is a different circumstance. The circumstances are different. This is description, not prescription in Luke chapter 9. Description, not prescription. Write that down. Okay, by the way, y'all that are taking notes, you got to write this down too. Description, not prescription. Now let's talk about that for a second. What is description, not prescription? Have you seen the passage in the Old Testament where it talks about when a child is rebellious against his parents, the whole city, they're supposed to take the child out and stone him? The whole city is supposed to stone the child. Boy, we wouldn't have any more many children around, would we, in America? <laughs> Can you imagine? What is that? That is description, not prescription. That's talking about a specific people that that was applied to at a specific time. Israel, at that specific time. For us, if, I, if you stone your child, even if they're 18, you're asking for jail time. And rightly so. Description, not prescription. The Bible sometimes tell, tells us specifics what to do at a specific time. Other times it tells what's happening. For example, the command goes uh, to the disciples. It can be applied to the church. First Timothy today. Ronaldo was dealing with a very difficult passage about ladies' roles in the church. Okay? Very tough passage. Y'all go ahead and take your Bibles and read on that on your own. First uh, Timothy 2. Um, and Ronaldo really wants to deal with it well, so he's going to teach on it for five Sundays is what he said. So, yay, way to go. This is very difficult, though. There's some hard passages in there. Is that prescription or description? It's prescription. The church is the, uh, you know, Timothy is being told and he's being told to the church how the church is supposed to be functioning. So those are specifics for us. We take and apply those. So even if we don't like it, we got to live with it because that's what God says. Isn't Take it up with the author. Here, however, he's talking to apostles at a specific time. He's not telling everybody, sell everything you have right here now and go and tell people about Christ. Now, is there a broader spectrum as you're going, tell people about Christ? Yes. And if God works in your heart to go, great. Do it. But these details are different. It's a specific mission at a specific time. 
He tells them to travel light. Notice. Travel light. Don't take anything with you. Nothing. Not even money. Not a staff or a bag or bread or money. What's he doing? What is Jesus teaching them? One main thing. Trust him because he provides. He's teaching his apostles. Trust me because I will provide for you. Even when I'm not with you, specifically walking with you, I will provide for you. You notice later in Luke chapter 22, he asked them, did you lack anything? And they said, no, nothing. What did they learn? He provides for them. They are taken care of. That's what he's trying to teach his apostles. It's a crash course on God's provision for them in all circumstances. And there are times all of us as disciples are going to learn this, aren't we? (laughs) Have you ever been put in a place where you had no way to pay a specific bill? Now, if you ran yourself up in debt and you don't have a bill, money to pay that bill, you might just be getting a spanking at this time. A little bit of discipline from the Lord trying to teach you, don't go into a bunch of debt. But there are times that things happen in our lives as followers of Christ where we get some bills that we're not expected and not of our fault, and we do what? How, God? How am I going to pay this? What do we learn in those circumstances? We learn that God takes care of us. God does take care of us. He provides for us, doesn't he? God is a good and gracious God, and he's teaching his apostles this lesson on a crash course. I tell you, I'm fairly sure that if I told all of us in this room, if we, if we were told this command, I think I would be a little bit more timid, wouldn't you? If you were told, okay, don't take anything with you, go to the city over and start talking about Jesus, what would you think? Woo! Start walking, too, by the way, because you don't have cars. Go walk. Go! <laughs> Go talk. Take nothing with you. This is a crash course in trust in God's provisions. And they learned. Notice there's temporary housing too. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. The idea here is is that one house per town. This made the length of their stay in the town shorter. It also meant that they were not to be content, or they were to be content with whatever house they were provided for in the, in the visit. So in other words, if you get there and the only person that will receive you in the town is the poorest person and they have a little shack, stay there. <laughs> and that's it. Then move on when you're finished with the message. These were to be short, concise, simple stays with one focus, proclaim the kingdom. That's it. Proclaim the kingdom is here. This was not about making friends. This was not about immersing your life into people's lives. It wasn't about learning the culture of the town. It was all about go, preach it, heal them, and leave. That's it. Now, is that prescription or description? See, if we took this to the nth degree and said, well, this applies to us, we would do the scorched earth approach to missions, wouldn't we? We'd just go in, walk into a town, hey, repent, 
Jesus came, he died, repent and believe, I'm out of here. Oh, you don't like that? Kick the dust off. Sorry, you're dead. <laughs> that's not what he's getting at. Here, there's a judgment that's incurring. They're being offered the kingdom. These were Jews that should have been looking for their Messiah. And if somebody comes and does a miracle and says the king's here, they should have all done what? Oh, yeah. We're going with you. They should have been ready. We're not talking about cross-cultural evangelism here, going to different mission fields. There, you're going to need to build relationship. And God talks about that in other passages in the Bible, of living with people in an understanding way, not returning revile for revile. Honor the king, as he talks about in 1 Peter. There are different circumstances in the Bible. They don't contradict. There's specific missions at different times, and that's one of these, a different mission. For us, we need to throw ourselves into the lives of people. When do we shake off the dust from our feet? <laughs> Be careful. It might not apply to you. Let's look. The response to rejection. Now, Jesus gives these guys a specific response. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out of the city, shake off the dust. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They were required, the apostles, to graphically warn people of the coming judgment for rejecting their Messiah. That's what they're doing here. The Old Testament talks about this and uh, this whole concept of judgment of God coming on the people of God if they rejected their Messiah. Graciously, he is informing them by the dusting off their feet as he walks out. Judgment's coming. Repent is what he's saying. When he dusts off their feet, the, the prophet, when he left, if he dusted off his feet, he would be saying to the people, you better turn. Judgment is coming if you don't receive me. It's actually a gracious act. He's warning the people, if they reject their Messiah, each one of them, when I dust off my feet, that means judgment's coming. Repent. This is a very gracious thing. Yet also, it is a sign of judgment. If you don't repent, judgment's coming. If you don't trust in the Messiah, judgment's coming. Again, is this normal for Jesus? I heard a, a preacher one time, and I love the guy, great preacher, I'm not even going to give you a name, that said he was kicked out of a church. And he was kicked out for preaching the Bible. And as he got into his car and he left the car, right before he got out of, the, out of there, he kicked off the dust from his shoes. And left the church because they had rejected him. And they rejected the message. Now that's applying this passage directly to him. I think we have to be careful. By the way, I know another pastor that did it. And you're looking at him. And I was wrong. I've thought through this passage and thought through it ever since then. And all week I've been wrestling with this. 
thank God I did not act on it. The reality is, is that, look, this was a specific mission at a specific time. If God decides to judge people because they reject our message of the gospel, that's between them and the Lord. Correct? That's not our job. This was a specific authority given to a specific guys at a specific time, warning them, don't reject your Messiah. Be careful of us playing this role when we don't have that authority. I don't have that authority. You don't have that authority. I think we need to be very careful before we think we apply passages like don't cast your pearls before swine. You've heard that passage too? How do you reconcile that with don't return revile for revile? Love your enemy. I think you need to be careful, folks. Do you understand? This passage was for a specific people at a specific time. Be careful. I'm talking to myself, too. I got my toes stepped on all week. Okay? Don't be judgmental. Don't think you're better than somebody else. And if they reject the Messiah, guess what? But the grace of God, you would too. But for the grace of God, you would too. So be careful. Why is it this way then? Why does he have them doing this? The simple answer is, is Jesus decided for it to be the time of judgment for the people and to show them that. It was... God's decide plan. Be careful of trying to determine what God's ordained plan is for you too. You don't know the future. God knows it. We trust him and we walk by obedience in the word. But in light of the Lord's coming death, this was like a final call. A call to the people of Galilee, that area, saying, listen up, you're being offered the Messiah Repent now, accept him now, because he's going to be taken away. And judgment will come. Jesus is using this as an intensive training session for the apostles also. He's calling them and calling Galilee to repent and accept the Messiah. Is this a model for evangelism for us? No. I don't think it is. Be careful. Don't turn people over thinking, okay, I'm just going to knock the dust off my shoes because you're just a hopeless cause. What do you call the Apostle Paul? What was the Apostle Paul before he became Paul? Saul, the persecutor of Christians, stood by and watched Stephen stoned to death. Well, that's a lost cause, isn't it? Not for God. Be careful. I think we all fall into this trap, don't we? Oh, that one's too far gone. No way. Can't, can't do it. How many of you just you find that as an as an that you give that as an excuse, so you don't have to deal with the person anymore? Did you hear me? Ooh, this is a big one. Oh, we do this all the time. Oh, if I have to continue to show love of Jesus to this person, this person's horrid. They must be too far gone. I'm going to duck 
knock the dust off my shoes on this person. I'm leaving. They've heard the gospel. What is that? That's a misapplication of a passage so you don't have to deal with loving somebody that's hard to love. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. Listen closely. He doesn't tell us to love conditionally. We're supposed to love our enemy. This is a specific mission at a specific time for these people. Don't play God in people's lives. Love people, even if they don't love you back. First Peter, you want some more on that, you can read First Peter. It deals with it. It's very interesting that Herod sees it, doesn't he? He gets it. Look at our fourth, po- fourth point. The Lord's servants then accomplish his mission. The Lord's servants accomplish his mission. Notice the results. They Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God, and healing everywhere. The disciples went out and accomplished the mission that Jesus had given them. Again, back to our, fa- our, our uh, favorite uh, uh, paradox in our mind, or our favorite question, or our difficult question, I best is a better word. Our difficult question from the passage is who is there to? Judas. Judas went out too. And he accomplished these things. I want to know who was with Judas, don't you? <laughs> who was hanging out with him? What was going on in his heart? I mean, here he is. He's a part of the 12. He's doing miracles. He's proclaiming Jesus is the king. Really? What does this say? Well, here's what it says. The heart of humanity is very wicked apart from the grace of God. How many of you in here think that you've, you've fallen into the trap of some of the evidentialists, uh, big word, those in the, the camp that say that I can give enough proof to get somebody to come to God, if I give enough evidences, they'll come to God? How many of you have fallen into that before? You've heard it and you've thought it and you said, okay, I can do that. Well, let me ask you a question. <laughs> If that were true, don't you think seeing people raised from the dead, Jesus calming the sea, walking on water, doing miracles yourself, don't you think that that would be enough to convert somebody? It's not. There is only one thing that will convert the heart. And that is the word of God effectually worked by the spirit of God. God has to work in the heart through the word of God to change a heart. That's the only way. Judas was there. He saw it all. He did it. And he didn't believe. That's a staggering truth, isn't it? That might scare some of us in the room. Hearing it, seeing it, does not guarantee it. It's God's grace working in the hearts of men. 
to save people like me and you. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Judas is a prime example. Local authorities get it, though. Notice in verse 7, Herod, the Tetrarch. This is the one that Jesus later will be sent to. Heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed. He was worried, uh uh-oh, because it was said to him that John the Baptist had risen from the dead. And by some, that Elijah had appeared. And by others, that one of the prophets of old had risen again. So, what's happening? Herod hears of all that's going on in Galilee. It's spreading. The news is spreading. The king is here. The kingdom is here. This is great things. And people start talking in Herod's ear. John the Baptist is risen from the dead. There's great things happening. The one you killed. And what does Herod do? He gets so frightened. So I think it's interesting. You look at verse 9. Look what Herod said. I myself had John beheaded. But who is this man about whom I hear such things? There's some great irony here. Who is proclaiming that Jesus is great? Herod. In this question, he's saying, this must be somebody great. He's using Herod, and he's using... Do you see this? This is so good. Listen closely. The Lord is using not just the 11 true apostles. He's also using Herod and Judas to proclaim his glory. (laughs) Wow. This is interesting. What does this show? (laughs) This shows the glory of our God that he can use anybody, even non-believers, to proclaim his glory. (laughs) This is what God's about. He's about showing himself off to the world. He doesn't need you, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that one doesn't go over real well. Well, the seeker-sensitive church would hate that, wouldn't they? God does not need you. He doesn't. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. He graciously uses us sometimes, but he doesn't need us. It reminds us of the story of Balaam, right? Balaam hated the people of God and hated God. But what did God do? He made Balaam talk prophecy of him. He took a donkey and, a, and an angel in the way to get things going. But the reality was God made somebody that did not love him proclaim him. God uses People for his glory. Now, in this room right now, there's probably some tension going on. Why? Why would God do that? Because he's good and kind and gracious and loving. Look, we live in a lost, sinful, wicked world that hates God. Any glimpse of that creator is glorious. (laughs) Knowing the God of the universe is better than anything else in the world, and that's what we are created to do, to know him and enjoy him and worship him. That is why we are here. 
if he decides to use Judas to proclaim the glory of the king so we can know him better, we all go, yes, amen, God. Show yourself to me. I want to know you. You are why I'm here. The passage is not about the proclaimer. The passage is about the one being proclaimed. Do you know him? I want to be used by God. Use me however you want God to proclaim your glories because that is where my joy is found. He is good and worthy. He is worthy of all of our worship. Boy, this goes so contrary to the average church, doesn't it, today, unfortunately. Often in churches, the one that is exalted are the people in the pews. Is this not true? I know it. It's not about us, folks. It's about Christ, honoring him, loving him. Enjoying him because he is God and we are not. We are his people. He is God. They were sent out with a specific message, a specific mission. Put your eyes on Christ. He is worthy of all of your worship. The king is here. What do we learn from this? The apostles returned and they gave account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. We'll develop this a little bit tomorrow or next week. But the idea is, is that he takes this and now begins to teach them and help them to grow in their understanding of who he is and why he sent them out and what this is all about. Folks, we can learn from here. God chooses 12 ordinary men to give them authority to proclaim him. Why? His grace. Why did he choose us? His grace. Why are you where you are? His grace. Why are you in this room? His grace. Unmerited favor. Rejoice in the God who created you. God does not always work the same way, we also learned. Sometimes he does things a little different. What are we supposed to do when things are a little different? Trust him. (laughs) He knows what he's doing. When things happen in your life that don't make sense, who's God? He is. What are we supposed to do? Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and to obey. I mean, we trust him. He's good. And to obey him is good for us too. He doesn't make us obey to put us in a bad spot. He wants us to obey so we can have fullness of joy in him. Obeying our parents is not burden, is it? Honoring our mother and father, is that a burden? 
<laughs> my, my little boy smiled at me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I don't know whether it's good or not. <laughs> but the reality is this. What? It's a good thing. Because when we obey our God, we find joy. And those who don't obey with a good heart, with a heart that's motivated by God's love, will be demonstrated in the end. That would be Judas. <coughs> Folks, God uses us to proclaim Christ. We are his ambassadors. That mission is the same. Do you do it? Obedience is one way. Sharing the gospel is another way. All of those are about proclaiming Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for what you did in them. Thank you for our congregation, Lord. Thank you for using us. We know all of this is because of your glory. All for you. You deserve it. You are worthy, Father. You sent your son to die in our place, the sinners that we are, to deliver us from the bondage of sin, to give us new hearts and new lives and help us to find our joy in obeying you. God, you are worthy of our worship. Thank you. Now, Father, we pray as we sing this last hymn, we pray that our hearts and our minds will be focused on you. We pray that you will be our vision. That we will love you and serve you with all of our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please.